this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Hey, I'm Tiffany. Hey, I'm Tasha. And you're listening to The, the she Boss Series, a new series navigating women at every level through the unspoken rules of business. The she Boss Series is designed to discuss the scenarios that HR doesn't speak about and men don't understand. We're bringing honest conversations and solutions from successful women. In this episode of She Boss, we're tackling the bro code and bringing you boss women who are not only maneuvering, but thriving in male-dominated fields. They're bringing their honest experiences and giving out straight talk, no chaser advice. This episode features writer and director Tamara P. Carter, designer and stylist Megan Ann Wilson, owner of Rhyme Boutique, Suzanne Boyle, and moderated by on-air personality, Paulana Lamounier. Listen close as these women navigate the boys' club. Yeah, warm. Yeah. We was we was spilling the we was spilling the tea back there. Yeah. We was we was talking about our frustrations about like you know not to name drop, but you know we was we was really spilling the tea because there there is so much to break down with this topic. Okay. You know, with women and the pay discrepancies with the WNBA, with them pigeonholing us as women when we have various interests in everything, you know, anything that we'd like, or even just in this field. So real quickly, before we jump right into it, I want you guys to introduce yourselves to the audience and let people know what you do. Give us like a two-minute spiel of what you do and say, you know, what's your favorite, what's your favorite thing to do? So what you do for a living and then what's your favorite thing to do? All right, well, I'm Megan Ann Wilson, uh, but on the internet, I'm She Got Game, and that's usually what most of my stuff is branded under. Uh, so I work as a designer and stylist, and I mostly work in pro sports, so working with NBA athletes, NFL players, um, and working with shoe brands. So uh, like I did a collaboration recently with Nike and Sneaker Lab, one of the ones that I'm wearing here. Okay. Um, and probably my favorite thing to do is to kind of like tell stories that are inclusive using design and using style and finding a way to make things uh, more accessible and making sure that people feel that they can be part of the story or they can connect to the story. And I think that's really important. And I think we're kind of in this generation where everyone's like a content creator. <laughs> so I think it's important to kind of like own um, own your story and also like finding ways to, to give back and connect to people using design and sports. Nice, nice. So I'm Sue Boyle. I own Rhyme Sneaker Boutiques. Um, I am probably one of the few women in the game. Um, I've been, had my stores for 10 years. I do not have a only a female store. I have a male sneaker store that caters to women because we want kicks that are for all of us, not just for one gender. Um, I've been doing it, I've been in retail forever and ever. Um, my favorite thing to do is to mentor other women. Um, I loved, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have some people here that could, you know, definitely. Um, I believe that women should be more supportive of each other, and that's one of the things I try to do. Um, but again, I've had two stores. Um, I do streetwear as well as um, sneakers. I'm not your typical person that looks like I should own a sneaker store. I'm an old white woman. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't fit the bill, and that's part of the thing. Not all of us look the part. 
So we got to embrace our differences. Hi, I'm Tamara P. Carter. Um, I'm a writer and director of uh, series television. So if you think like Mad Men, The Wire, um, the last project uh, well, series that I wrote was um, this kind of weird HBO series I don't know if anyone in here watched called The Leftovers. It's kind of sci-fi. Um, uh, let's see. I mean, what's my favorite thing to do? What's your favorite thing to do? Uh, go to like, I just, like, honestly, I just want to go to parties. I just like, <laughs> I like to like, I like DJ sets and like raves and like, I'm, I'm from Brooklyn, so um, like the native. <laughs> Um, you know, we like we like a party. You know, we'll, we'll start it anywhere. So that's my favorite thing to do, and that's what I bring, I think, to my work. Is um, you know, it, it's there are lots of women in Hollywood. Like I, I spent ten years in LA training. Um, on, we'll talk about. But um, what I bring is like I bring Brooklyn to Hollywood. I don't, I don't, um, I, I I don't feel left out in terms of like we'll talk about being like a woman there. But um, my favorite thing to do is like bring all of this, all of these rings, all of this brown, all of our culture um, to a show like The Leftovers. So. And our experiences matter. I think um, Bozema, she, she loves saying, what I love what Bozema says is that she always brings her whole self to wherever she works. And mind you, she's like the only black woman working at like, you know, in the executive, you know, suite working at Uber, working at Apple. And so it's really important to bring your whole self to work, right? Because your experiences are make, is what makes you who you are, where you're from, your hood, right? So let's talk about, um, let's jump into our first question here. How did, you know, being one of the few women in your industry, how how did that affect you early on in your in your career? Um, I think for me, it wasn't necessarily being one of the first women um, because I'm in like Hollywood proper. Like I'm the way that things are divided up um, in LA. No one wants to talk about it, but there's like Black Hollywood, which is like Will and Jada and Oprah and Ava DuVernay and all those people, and then there's like Hollywood proper, which is like J.J. Abrams. Um, Damon Lindelof, Steven Spielberg, um, and then there, you know, some of us, the Ryan Kuglers of the world, uh, me, Donald Glover, um, Issa, we get kind of like vented into that side of the business. So um, for me, it was more so being like a young black woman, not necessarily a woman, because um, the I actually didn't know much about like white Americana at all. Um, I grew up in New York City, and most of like the white people that I knew identified via their ethnicity. They were Jewish, they were Russian, they were Greek, they were, you know, so I didn't, I didn't know anything about people from Idaho. God bless anyone from Idaho. <laughs> but um, the, the amount of um, just blatant racism in a writer's room when you're just, you don't have a chance to leave like your desk, um, the silencing, the uh, being ignored. I, I wasn't used to any of that. Like I grew up in like like steeped in like black excellence. I had no idea these people even existed, what their objectives were. Um, and so just trying to handle myself um, without becoming belligerent was always a challenge. And um, and then also just you know then figuring out how to like parse 
like like figure out what uh, like the amount of energy that I wanted to give to um, the like the, the the cause of like striding as a black woman and like I don't really like get into all of that. I just want to do my job, you know. Um, I've I pretty much as far as I I've been treated equally as far as I had experienced before I'd gotten to L.A. and so it was quite the shock to um, be treated differently. Um, I went to black schools. Since I was like one year, like a baby, and so um, that was the main um, challenge. It was just more so uh, wielding my blackness unapologetically um, and experiencing the resistance that came with that. Right, and dealing a little bit with the code switching, right? Like you know, when no, you're I in don't code switch. No code switch. Okay. Yeah, I don't code switch. I don't explain things to people. Um, I feel like you can Google anything you want to know about being black, about me being gay, about me being from Brooklyn, about me being from Brownsville. You know. We all have like, <laughs> hey, we all have. So I don't, I don't explain things to people because like that's not my job, you know. And when I feel like I might be entering, an, you know, a room where I need to explain, I just charge a premium. I just charge like a racism tax. So I just charge like an extra. So for me, like I have my, if I if I read a script and I think that I'm gonna get a job that in court requires me to like explain things to white people or to white men or to liberal white women or to black people who are not also used to like growing up but really kind of black people who went to liberal schools who don't necessarily know a lot about their own culture i charge like an extra thousand dollars a week before i even walk into the room because i know i'm going to spend about 20 minutes a day like just trying to maintain a sense of equilibrium so i don't that's not a part of my job at all. It's not my job to explain myself. It's my job to do my job, and that distracts me from doing my job. So I learn you can't avoid it in some cases, so I just charge extra. Sue or uh, Megan, maybe you tell me about what your, you know, very briefly tell me about your experiences being the only, you know, women in your industry. Well, I started working in sports broadcasting when I was 15, and I'm 32 now, so it's like over half my life. I've always worked with like, yeah, I've always worked with dudes, like my whole life. And so I, this is back when, before I knew I was like a woman, you know what I mean? Like before I saw myself as something that was sexy, I was always a tomboy. I like was in gifted classes, dressing in sneakers, making my own clothes. Like I was always like a weirdo and I'm Canadian. I'm from like, yeah. <laughs> Anybody um, from Long Island here? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ain't many of us here. But I'm lucky in that I come, like, my family is already kind of weird, right? Like, we've always been different. So I never knew that I had to, like, assimilate. You know, I was okay with being the weirdo. And for a long time, I think when I first started working in sports broadcasting, this is after I graduated from going to TV school, it was expected that I'd be tall and blonde and skinny and love hockey. And I'm like, I love basketball and Allen Iverson. And I love, you know, making my clothes and being different. Like they would always make fun of me for wearing like skirts and sneakers and just being myself. And I never really, when I, when I would actually like buy into it, I felt shitty, you know? I felt like I was selling myself short. But when I was in my 20s, I didn't understand that's what was happening. Because I just thought I had to fit in, I had to get somewhere. And until honestly, until I moved to New York, I didn't feel like I really had a place where I could just be myself and be accepted and be okay with that. So I think that was something that was a bit of a problem growing up. Because there weren't a lot of women in like, 
like I got a chance to like direct like sports broadcasts when I was like 16 because I was like this like super overachieving like I'm gonna work all the time like co-op kid because I had too much energy for school you know so I was lucky I got to work right away and then when I moved to Toronto and um, went to school there I was just barely in school but always working always trying to like overachieve and try to find all these things and so I was really focused on kind of like survival and like I'm gonna find a way to fit in even if people don't get it and now like the, when I realize that I'm older it's like okay part of what makes me special is that I'm different right you know and now I think that's something that's really important and there are certain jobs or certain opportunities that I'm like you know what okay that's good for someone else and now that I know more women I can be like I actually know a woman who's better suited to that you should still hire a woman you should hire especially in these kind of fields like a woman of color because often they'll just be like hey who's here's a generic white girl who might not just because she's like popping on Instagram but they might not look who is like actually actually like pushing culture forward and that's something that's important so now I've kind of like realized the importance of being like it's cool to be different and all that and for the most part I think I'm lucky that I had a chance to work with men that some would just like make fun of me but they'd let me do my own thing and it also made me understand the importance of like editors that kind of like okay you are really good at this I'm gonna let you just like fly and, and go for it so but how long did it finally get that like I guess stamp of approval from those guys like they finally oh snap, she's actually really good like how long did that take a long time see yeah it's crazy and it's crazy and it felt like for me and this is also partially just being Canadian but I felt like people didn't really think that I was doing something until I was like they realized that all my clients were American they're like oh you're really cool in New York so I guess you're cool here now wow. like that's like Toronto has this reputation of being this group face capital and it was like I have to leave to show you that I am special and I'm like worth it you know um, and there's definitely part of that I think working in a male-dominated field especially if you don't have a lot of women to work with it's hard for you to really like exert your agency and like know that like I'm here for a reason I have this power I'm really good at this you know but I feel that um, I think I'm lucky that I've, I've had like a small group and partially it, it came from like uh, Nike talk and it came from like super future and it came from all these like online forums of me being like a sneaker nerd or me being a sports nerd and like basketball Twitter and like that's kind of like where I found my voice within this niche of like it's cool to be like a weirdo that really cares about basketball shoes every night like you know so I think that helped but I don't, I don't think I really found myself until also I started really focusing on what I think I love the most which was design and not telling someone else's story but like making them and making products so that's like partially a different thing but I think that's when you kind of like find your your truth it makes it easier to be like you know what like I don't have to listen to like uh, like your sexual comment so I don't have to listen to um, whatever kind of bullshit or like people telling me like if I go into a boutique that might not be Sue's store people assume that I know nothing about the shoe and they'll tell me all the wrong tech and if this was five years ago I'd be like you know what I would go through a whole list and tell exactly that dude everything that he said wrong because I have been writing about sneakers for 10 years and I can tell like I know what I'm talking about I have all the receipts now I'm like okay that's cute I know you're you're just really think you're a savior you're really telling me that like yeah. something I need to know so part of it is just like now I've just kind of like uh, embraced it and also like embraced other women in the industry and us like finding our spots right now Sue um, this question is for you what were some of the unexpected challenges that you faced we spoke about it mm -hmm. you know in our in the green room if you can tell us you know what were some of the challenges you faced so the first thing is that when I started to carry sneakers everyone was kind of like oh so it's your husband's store uh, oh yeah. oh you got a son 
yeah. that got you in the yeah. game. And yeah. I'm like, no, I have a daughter. My yeah. son's, my husband, no way, no sneaker for him, no, not good. So it always, anytime anybody looked at me, they looked at me as being, you can't own it, you don't know, what do you know? Mm-hmm. And we're really surprised that I don't fit the bill. So when I would go to anything corporate with other sneaker companies, I was always the only woman yeah. in the space. Mm-hmm. And I'd be with all male owners mm-hmm. and just myself. And I usually, you know, I'm not going to lie, I would bring a guy with me just to have that extra, you know, hey, can you hang with me for a little bit? The fact that you know, you have to do that but is, you had yeah. to because it was not really you're not really like looked at. They they don't look at you. They don't see you. So they go right away to the male counterpart with you. So it's like, but it's my store. It's yeah. my blood, sweat, and tears that put into this. And I found more and more times when I've been in like that situation, now it starts to be like, oh, she's here. Uh, she's not gonna last. So, and I've been in business for 10 years with my sneaker stores. I've been in retail for 40. So, which I'm not telling you my age. Um, <laughs> don't do any math, I started at 10. Um, so, um, what, what I will tell you though is that with the men, you have to earn their respect. And when they kept seeing me coming and they kept seeing my stores and they kept seeing what I was doing, slowly they're like, oh, she knows what she's talking Oh, Oh, okay, so Sue's in the building, okay. And I kind of learned to be with them so they saw me as an equal and not that I was just gonna disappear. And I think everyone thought that my store would be out of business in two years. Wow. Ten years later, I opened up my, you know, I moved my, my store to a bigger location. Um, I'm doing just as well as the boys um, if companies allow me to. Yeah. You know, if they, if they let me have a few more quick strikes and they let me be a voice and they let me not just have, you know, they all want me to do women's sneakers, which I'm grateful for because I want to have a voice and show you guys what we can do. But I think there's also, like, I am, I can sit next to one of the guys. So I think it's that's one of the biggest challenges is that to be seen as an equal and not be seen as the girl yeah. or the woman in the business. I want to be seen as an equal in the business. I want to be able to sit with the boys and not, and be counted as one of them and not not see a sex. Right, right. And then let's talk about that, you know, being equal. What were some of the ways you had to form friendships in the workplace? So so with me, I think it's it's all about when you do see a, another female that's either a sales rep or a designer or anything, that you gravitate towards them and you try to help them and you try to do as much as collaborations together. Yeah. You start, you know, like, hey, what are you doing? Like, I'm doing an event, do you wanna come on in? Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys have a shoe or a t-shirt that you wanna sell at my store? I'm very much about supporting other women in the game. I'm very much about supporting and and teaching too and saying, hey, you know what, you need a hang tag on that t-shirt um, or you need someone to talk to, give me a call. Because that's the other thing too, we're all kind of separate in the game and it's kind of like we don't really all know about each other. And it's kind of nice to have that sisterhood and that you kind of support each other on what you're doing. And I think that's how you support friends. And it's not being jealous. And girls have to be nicer to each other. Yeah. It's one of the things yeah. I always say. It starts when you're little and she doesn't want to be your friend. And, you know, or, you know, she, mm-hmm. she wants your sneaker. So she's like, you know, jealous. And it's not to be jealous of each other. It's about opening up your arms to each other and, and supporting each other. So, and together we have a better voice. 
Yeah, and that's that's something we were talking about back before, and we've talked about because you know we've yeah. known each other for a while. Um, how important it is to like support each other and realize that everyone like can have their own unique opinion. I think it's really difficult because much kind of like Susan was saying before, it's always like, oh, did you get into basketball because your dad? Did you get into sneakers because your boyfriend? Did you get that? There's always an assumption that you had to get here because of a man. And no one in my family is into that. <laughs> you know, my dad started getting a sneaker collection because of me. Like he would send it to his school. So my mom didn't know he was buying sneakers. Like there is definitely like, there, the influence goes both ways, you know? And, and when it comes to that, I think now that I've been, been around for a bit, I see the importance of like mentoring or like reaching out or helping. And not, not everyone, um, and it, like everyone has their, their own different unique opinion. Like I, you don't have to, when I'll get a reach out for an interview and it's not right, I'm like, you know what, maybe I'm not the right person for it. And part of it might be like helping out someone else or doing that. Um, and part of it is just making room for each other too. I think that's really important, you know, um, and knowing that, you know, if I have an event that I think a bunch of my friends would want to go to, I'm always going to be the one that shares because it's like, okay, let's, let's uh, you know, you really want to cover this for your blog. Maybe they didn't know about you yet, so let's share that invite, you know. I think part of it is just trying to be um, as inclusive. And part of it too is you need to have that conversation because if you don't have the conversation, like I really want to be, you know, this person, like, I'll help you all the way, but I need to know what you want. Like, you can't, you can't have a closed mouth when it comes to, like, what you want. You have to be willing to ask for it and reach out for it, and I will always be the person that probably, like, overreaches to help people. <laughs> but I think part of it, too, is that, um, you kind of have to be willing to accept help and also like willing willing to give it. It goes both ways. And you can't be like, you can't be like, oh, I helped you once, you helped me once. It can't be a, a chart. I also think that your success, if someone else's success doesn't mean you're a failure. No, yes. Exactly. If someone else's failure, it doesn't mean you're exactly. successful. Yeah. I think you have to look at yourself and see if you're successful. I think as a woman, you have to start having confidence at a very young age. And, and yeah. I think women have to teach their daughters how to be confident people yeah and about how to how to trust your own instincts and how to trust who you are and have a voice and have a say in what yeah. you want exactly what yeah. you said have a say yeah you know speak up don't let anybody hold yeah. you down be who you are and be different yeah and and being different to me is the best thing in the world you can be and it's and honestly, you don't want to be like everybody else yeah but being different yeah. okay so here's I have a very different angle speaking of different yeah very different angle very different take on um, making friends, you know? I'm not really like a nice person. I don't walk up to people, you know, culturally, it's not my culture, like my family culture, my neighborhood culture, my city culture. Um, we weren't groomed to be like friendly, you know, we're friendly to the people that we know and love. And so, um, you know, as a woman who is it, you know, maybe expected to be like chatty and talkative and like nice to everyone, you know, I often failed at that. And the way that um, I was groomed to level that experience was to excel, was to put the extra hours in. Like before we go out for drinks and before we get to the mentorship part, you have to understand that I am not here to be your friend. I'm so sorry to say this, but I'm here to destroy everyone in the room, and I'm here to make sure that I get everything right on the board and that I'm great at my job. That's first. And what I found was um, is that people flocked to me because my answers were right. 
people saw that I was valuable without me having to prove myself. Mm -hmm. I don't look to prove myself to men, women, or anyone else in the room. My foundation is my family um, and my, my neighborhood and my, my people. So. I look to prove myself in different ways after work, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. To the people that I care about, you know, that I can be emotionally responsible and like, you know, that's a different type of, I put, but that's where I place my energy in terms of proving myself. When it comes to proving myself to people at work, I don't care about proving myself to people at work. The best way to prove myself is to do the job that you hired me to do and do it at 100%. If you're studying for six hours, well, I'm gonna be studying for 12 and um, I'm gonna know this job inside and out. That has allowed me to move very quickly through, like cut through so many, um, I've, I've gotten many opportunities because of that. You know, when I walk into a writer's room um, or when I'm, I'm on set, you know, the very first day I was on, uh, I directed my own episode. I was, I was so shaken up. And um, the only thing that I had to rely on was that I knew what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And that has been my, uh, my bread and butter. Um, Culturally, I can't say that, like, and then later on, you know, it's great when, you know, if you bond with someone and they want to mentor you or you're looking to be a mentor, I think that's fantastic. Um, but I'm not, I'm not going to be the person in the room to, like, walk up to you and be like, hi, you know, it's just not my personal culture. I'm working on it in therapy, but I don't even know if I want to be that person. I think yeah. I'm happy being the person that I am. And so um, that, that's, I, I've not had a, I can't say that I haven't had a problem being a woman in the workplace. I have, right? Um, but it, it seems to kind of level when I'm right. Mm. But you said something, the one thing you said that was really important, you're confident when you walk in that room. And that's where I think, every woman has to find that within her. To have that confidence to walk into any, you're, you're prepared and you're confident. And I think that's something that's lacking with some of us when we walk into a room with full of men or where they feel insecure because she's prepared yeah. and that's another thing like, that's how I feel that you have to have that confidence and you have to know who you are know what you want go after it exactly what she said and have the confidence to go walk into that room and sit in that boardroom with whoever it is and be seen as an equal if not better right. and be prepared to take on like, to take on like the judgment yeah. that comes from not necessarily being the friendly girl in the room you know and that judgment sometimes comes from women you know, mostly it may come from, for me, it's men don't, are not necessarily, they, they recognize it as like, when I'm not trying to like be bubbly and be like, hey, John, how are you? You know, John, is, John comes to me and is like, hey, what did you think about what was said? You know, um, the confidence is earned by way of study and excelling um, for me. And I just, um, I can't emphasize that enough because mm -hmm. my personality is not a popular uh, type of personality. And if you if you don't see yourself like reflected back, you know, if, if you see, if I've, I've sat in the audience and, and, you know, watched people like, you know, who have great personalities like yourself, mm -hmm. say, hey, you know, these are the ways in which I excel. But and I've completely not connected with those methods because I just didn't see myself in there. Black women, I think, especially, you know, we have to be so many things. We have to be so tough. You know, we're gentle at home, but, you know, sometimes we're not really 
really in the mood to be bubbly with John. And so then what do you do? You know what I'm saying? How do you present yourself? At that, at that point, the only option you have is to be right. And to be who you are. That's the one thing I'm going to stress. Be who you are. Be, I was the girl who wore sneakers. I, you know, I was not corporate America. I was not the typical white woman who that you would think that I'm going to go off and be a school teacher and be that person. I, if, if you look at my stores, my stores have non-color. Um, if you look at my stores, I don't judge anybody from what they are. My friends are gay. My friends are trans. My friends are married. I have a very large eclectic group. If you look at who comes to my store at my parties, you would never think that these are Sue's friends. <laughs> like, you would just go, wow. But be who you are and be open to other people and be very liberal about your, your thinking. Not, not, we're all not going to be the same on this board. We're all not going to look the same. But we're all going to be, the one thing I will probably say about all three of us is that we all are very strong in who our identity is yeah. and who yeah. we are. And that when we walk into any room, we're very secure with who we are. Yeah. And I think that's what you have to be, being a woman in in the in any of the games is be secure with who you are and and don't change for anyone right yeah. and then um just to add uh, i don't know if you guys heard the carter's album everything is love mm -hmm. who's heard it yeah but they have this song i believe it's called nice and you know jay-z said this lyric where you know you're technically broke if the friends around you are broke if you're rich and all your friends around you are broke you technically are broke mm -hmm. that all means that you who are, are you hmm? <laughs> I still feel rich. You know, you still feel, I think he's wrong. No, well, it, no, no, and what I've no, but what? No, I mean, here's here's what it comes down to. Is it really comes down to like, who are you helping? Who are you? Who are you helping? Who are you kind of giving that leg up in the in in their field? Oh, right, oh, so it's so it's more so like who are you helping? Who is in not even in just in your immediate circle, but like who are you mentoring? Who are you kind of helping the next? Who are you planting seeds into, or just kind of helping um, behind you? And when I heard that, I was like, that's 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 kind of true. If you're the only rich person, you know, no, y'all not. A, mm, no, I think I think when he shows up to, to mentorship, when he shows up to Bed Stuy with a check for half the brownstones in the mm -hmm. neighborhood, and and yeah. presents an an option for low income housing to yeah. his but own did, people. But had, but he, were his shareholders and invested in him. Yeah. I don't hear nothing about Jay Z. Okay, but here's my thing. My, no, no, but my point. My, no, but my whole point. No, whatever y'all opinions are on Jay Z, that's y'all opinion. But my whole point. But my my whole point is being that helping hand. That's really what it comes down to in the workplace. Or if you see somebody that is struggling or that's not getting it right or may not have that or, or is unemployed or don't have that job yet. Okay, I have a job. What can I do to make sure that maybe she not maybe I don't have an opening at my job. But what can I do? Oh, sis, let me look at your resume real quick. Yeah. Or sis, you know, what is it that you're looking for? Maybe if I keep an ear out, maybe if I if yeah. I keep an ear out in the streets, I'll, I'll put you on. I think it's all about really putting the right, you know, putting your friends on. This is a really important question, the me too. Hashtag me too, being a woman in the workplace. Okay. So we know we me too is a, is a very important topic and that it should not be taken lightly in the workplace. What are some steps that women should take when when harassment happens because you know 
we're scared. We see on Twitter what happens, or you know, your silence. We're, we're, we're silenced to shame, or we're shamed to silence. So, what are what are your, what are some steps that we should do? I mean, I think the first thing is you can't you can't victim shame. You can't assume that it's the woman's fault. I've been assaulted by people in the industry and outside of the industry, and for a long time, for me, I always assumed it was my problem because I'm like, oh, I'm too nice and too friendly, and that's just my personality. So I had to learn how to like manage my confidence and like my nature because I thought it was all my problem. And part of it is you kind of have to like, you have to like protect yourself against male ego and that's a whole other conversation. But um, I think part of it is that you have to be willing to have these open conversations that are really difficult. I think a lot of people are too scared. To, to actually acknowledge that it's happening. And so many people have been hurt without actually, because it's a scary thing to admit, right? But not to cut you off, who do we have those conversations with? Because we could have them, but you can have them with the wrong person. Who do we go to? Um, Tamara, I see you want to chime in. Who do we go to when it happens? Um, this is what I've done, I, because I haven't had the same experiences as you guys, right? Mm -hmm. um, I've learned to be an ally. I've been, yeah. like, my best friends have taught me how to be, like, an ally. And I'm a little bit of a moron in a room. So the minute I open my mouth, all and I was raised by, like, guys, and so, like, all the guys that I know identify, like, we identify with, like, our personal struggles like, with, like, women and whatever. So I get a pass. Mm -hmm. And I realize I just learned how to use that pass, which is the minute I see, um, the minute I hear something, because it normally starts verbally, yeah. the harassment, mm -hmm. right? Um, I, cut, I cut it off at the legs. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Don't say that to her. Yeah. You know, I'm watching you. You know, or even if it's someone that I know, it's like, dude, you know that, you know, you got to come tighter than that. That's yeah. not, don't talk to her like that. Mm -hmm. She's your equal. And if you want to do get out with someone, then you can, you know, ride me, you know, talk to me about it, yeah. but like, or talk to my brother about it. Or, you know, if you really want to know if what you said was cool or not cool to her, why don't you talk to my brother? You know, ask him, you know, talk to another man who is, you know, also going to validate the fact, you know, the her, her concern, this woman's concern. It's not cool. You know, what you did or what you said is not cool. And so what I like to do and what I've learned to do and been, have been taught to do is to stand up for, even if it's a woman that I don't know, in the moment, right then and there, and, and just let that person know, let that guy know that he's being watched. Yeah. You, you can't be scared to call people out. Um, I think that's something when I was younger, I, what, I didn't really realize. And I think because I grew up with all dudes, like I, it took a lot to shock me. It took a lot for me not to laugh off and be like, yeah, whatever. Like it, it didn't, there was a lot that I probably let go that I shouldn't have, you know? But now you have to be really, you know, I think cognizant of like being willing to be like, hey, this is a standard. You can't go over it. If you do, we're going to have a problem. And learning that to be confident and strong enough to be like, this is a problem. Standing up and being an ally for your friends or other women in the workplace or making sure that um, there are certain standards and you kind of also have to like know what your standard is and be like I am only willing to tolerate this if you cross it then we'll have a problem and knowing that keeping that consistent with everyone who you deal with is important because you can't just let someone oh well he has a really big client that I want to land so when he sends me texts at four in the morning trying to like be on some shit or sending me dick pics and he's an agent that I don't want to see like you have to be willing to be like you know what about that <laughs> or, or you got to 
put a giant tax on it. Like Tamara said, I will put a giant tax on someone if I know their agent's an asshole, you know? Right. So you have to be willing and like, you can't take, don't take every job just be, if you know it's gonna be a problem. Right. And if people can't respect you. Like not every check is a good check. That's true. You know, if you know it's gonna give you anxiety, it's gonna, you know, deal with harassment or things like that. I've learned when to step away from certain projects and like when to like isolate myself. But a huge thing for me is just being like, this is my standard. If you have a different standard, cool. But this is what I stick with. And if I see someone who's getting fucked with and I have a problem with that, I'm gonna say something because I'm not scared to. And if it costs me a job, cool. But that's my standard and I'm okay with, you know, whatever the consequence is. Sue, what so, about you? So I run my, I'm the owner, so that it's a little different for me because I am, you know, in my workplace. But I run, I have guys and girls who work for me, and I run my store like a family. And that's one of the things everybody knows about me, anybody who shops in my store knows about me. So if a guy, that's your little sister, or that's, that's you know, that's someone else's, you know, brother. So there's a very difference about how the respect comes. I'm the mom of the store. I really am. I feel like I have kids. But there's a respect level and that everybody has a respect level. So you wouldn't want somebody talking to your little sister that way. Or you wouldn't want somebody talking to your girl that way. Or you wouldn't want somebody talking to, you know, another guy that way. So we run it very, a little differently because we're a tighter group. But I've seen so many women come to me and want to work for me because I'm a woman and because they tell me stories about what happens in the workplace and they don't know what to do. And they're like, what do I do? And, th and that's a scary thing. And then, you know, my thing is with bigger companies, I don't know if it works or not because I'm a small company. Go to HR. Go to talk to somebody. Yeah. Put that report in. Get that guy's name already on the paper because I guarantee if you went in, maybe somebody else will go in after. Yeah. Just to, okay. Yeah, I wanted to add to that. So whenever a situation happens at work, first off, take note. Keep a record of it. That's the first thing we want to do. We want to make sure we are keeping record of when did it happen, what time did it happen, um, what took place, what happened, and then how many times has this happened? Okay, this has happened X, Y, and Z amount of times, right? And then I would say, um, reach out, if you have another woman in the workplace, reach out to them and talk, chat with them. Say, hey, sis, I need you to, you know, kind of, uh, this is what I'm going through. Just so if they ask for, do you have a witness or do you have someone that can attest to that? Yes, I do. This is my colleague. And then also, don't ever be in their room alone with that person. And if you are, record the conversation. There's an app called Table Call. Okay, Table Call. You go on, and you, if you're having a phone call with that person, record the conversation. Because, you know, these days with the allegations and stuff, not saying that people won't believe it, but you want to make sure that every I is um, dotted and every T is crossed because you want to make sure that this doesn't not, not only doesn't happen to you anymore, but it doesn't happen to any woman else, um, anyone else in the workplace, right? So after you have a record of what has transpired between you and that colleague, then you go to HR. Say, hey, this is what's been going down and something needs to happen, okay? Because you want to make sure that you are C-Y-A, okay? What does that mean? Oh. Cover your ass, <laughs> all right? You want to make sure you are covering your ass. Um, Tamara, you had a question. No, go ahead. Okay. So, okay, next next question, techniques. Um, Tamara touched on this a lot, but I, I want to dive into that uh, a little bit more. What are some te techniques that women can do to be indispensable in the workplace? 
I mean, it's all the same techniques a man can do, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's yep. just going in, being confident. I used to get knocked when I was younger for being like too confident, and I didn't realize it was partially because other people didn't, sometimes it was coming from like their own self-worth, like, oh, I don't know how to like think I'm the shit, right? Like, they didn't know how to have a certain sense of confidence, and you're not, not everyone's gonna like you, and that's okay. <laughs> Like, I had to learn that, and I'm okay with that, you know, but it's something that was important for me to learn. Um, I think just doing your job as best you can. Like yeah. Tamara said, you gotta be like first person, last person out. For me, that's important. I always wanna do the best possible job. I wanna make sure um, I'm on time. It's crazy how often you realize when I've like hired people or I've worked for people, how many people think they can get away with not doing a good job. <laughs> So I think that's the most important part. Like, deliver and show that you are indispensable. And show that why you're there and why you were hired and why it's important. Like, I'm, I'm self-employed, so for me, it's like it's all about referral basis. So I want to make sure people know that I'm the person you trust on, like, let's say, these three things. And so it's important to me to always deliver. Um, and I think that's the most important part. And make sure you carry yourself with self-worth and make sure you demand what you're worth. Because right. I think so often people, like we can talk about equal pay, we can talk about all that kind of stuff, but I think there's always this idea that, oh, women just have to, you know, like just smile and like, okay, like it's okay if we don't make it, like fuck that. Like you should always ask for like what you're worth and often, you know, they say add tax and make sure you know your value. Because that is the most important thing. Because the second you lose that, the second you're someone's gonna take advantage of you. Tamara. I would say, um, and I, I mean, I'm obsessed with black people, so pardon me for always saying, like, you know, shifting the lens to, like, black culture. Um, we tend to have, um, well, I think ethnic cultures in general tend to have really big families. And I think with um, women kind of, in our cultures, heading those families oftentimes, always have a backup plan. Like, no one cares about your kids. No one cares that you had to drop a kid off at school. We're asking for and fighting for um, and demanding equality. And the thing is, is that it's a little screwed up here because we have other things going on as women that men don't have going on. Well, not to say that men don't have families and don't have responsibilities, but in many black households, if the woman being the primary breadwinner, you just, you need a backup plan. You need to, you need to have someone ready to t pick up your kids if you can't leave work, if you can't leave set, if you can't leave a room. Um, you need to have someone, you know, in place that you trust to, um, to field phone calls when you can't hop off of a call at work to talk to your child. You have to be ready. Um, with backup plans because in the end, when you're out of that meeting, it's just tangible, it's just objective information that you're missing. It's not, people might actually care, but you're still missing the information. You're still not there. You weren't there to bond with Jack or Jill or whoever else is there. You just weren't there. You know what I'm saying? And that objectivity sometimes I think gets lost in the fray of just trying to survive, you know, and, and maintain the survival culture, but I think we have to move, um, you know, as black women into a thriving culture where we are prepared with clearly you, the kid is going to need to be picked up early one day in a month. Clearly, right? So just be ready. You know, maybe you're, you might not be able to afford a car that runs every day. What's the backup plan? What's the fastest way? Like, do you leave early? Do you leave an hour early just in case the car breaks down? Don't be that person that has three kids who always has to leave early. You know what I'm saying? Like, leave some time and 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 just leave some time for like the margin of er the inevitable margin of error. You know, and I think that with that, it you know the narrative shifts to 
well yeah she's always here she has kids she's always around you know she has you know she has responsibilities and she just smoked jack at his job you know she just smoked like she she was here and she had all this going on and i know because i'm her boss you know i know that she's prepared and i trust her and that once that trust is earned you know the, the world is pretty much your um your oyster right um now i hope you guys are on twitter okay you reached the end of another great episode of the she boss series have you listened to the full season yet tell us what you think connect with us at benchmarkcreativegroup.com and don't forget to sign up to our newsletter so you can hear all about new episodes new seasons or get an opportunity to experience she boss live and in person oh don't forget to follow us on social at the bcgnyc now that's t-h-e-b-c-g-n-y-c see you later